Welcome to the JMS Podcast with Jorge M. Sanchez. Thank you for tuning in, folks. We have a great episode. Today's episode's main guest is Ren Gasek. She is a talented, sweethearted vocalist, and we had a great chat about music. And uh, I think we have one song from her latest album, which is called Ren Love Song, and that uh, we're going to feature on this episode. So stay tuned for that. And... Um, I just want to make a quick announcement, and that is that we have reached our three-year anniversary. Wow, it's been three years. Has it been three years? Let's say 2015. We started January of 25th. Yeah, three years. Three years just passed. It's been a long time coming. I want to give a shout out to everybody who supported this podcast from you um, regular listeners to uh, anybody else who who came on here as a guest or anybody who helped out during the events or in general helped out with the design and all that jazz. So thank you everybody for for this third year for making it here because of course I wouldn't be doing this if there was not an audience for it. And it's been a, a great, uh, great time so far. I mean, I'm meeting so many people I would never think in my life I would meet here in my own community. And I got to know about them and their lives. And I got to say, uh, I, I get emotional. I was like, man, I never thought I would be here in my life. Especially somebody who's a bit of a, of an introvert. So thank you, thank you. You can uh, subscribe to the JMS Podcast if you haven't already on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and on Google Play. You can follow the JMS Podcast on your social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can check out the JMS Podcast website at jmspodcast.gmail.com. If you have any questions for me, I would love to take them. Please email me at jmspodcast.gmail.com. Um, all right. Now, um, before when Ren got here, uh, I, I, I do got to make a note, uh, maybe even apologize, really, because uh, I was a little bit flustered. I, I was very flustered <laughs> because about 15 minutes before the scheduled podcast session, uh, my, my, my the mouse of my computer broke. And I have a, a wireless mouse because it's less cables to deal with. Um and it broke, but the thing is, I, I didn't have the time um, to really go buy another mouse. And I was freaking out. I'm like, oh my God, how am I going to conduct this uh, interview and record it with no mouse? And I just, and then I was like, oh, you know what? My, my computer is actually a touchscreen, so I could really operate it using my, you know, with my fingers because it's touchscreen. But I was like, wait, I got fat fingers. <laughs> so uh, th- there was, uh, I, I was stressed out of hitting the wrong button because it has happened before where I've relied on the touchscreen and I ended up uh, de- accidentally deleting things. So I was really flustered and nervous when she got here. So I, 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 I would not be surprised if she was a little uncomfortable at first, you know, because I was, I was trying to like, you know, keep my, keep my shit together and be like, all right, all right, let's do this. And. And of course, she just came from the women's march, so she was like, uh, you know, probably not not a good time to meet a a flustered uh, man after that. So, so, but nonetheless, we had a great chat. So I, I really got gotta give my hats off at her for sticking it through, because I was getting nervous. I was getting nervous. You know, can, can you imagine how? You, pretty much, I'm asking people to come to a place they've never been to, and it's a it's a house. You know, can you imagine that? Like a stranger going, like, hey, come over to my place. 
and and uh and yeah like it's like i don't know you dude like i really gotta give it up to a lot of guests a lot of guests who don't know me and and out of the blue uh took the time to to really come over and be like all right you know it's a lot of trust uh, i want again thank you for ren for her patience and again thank you for uh, all the guests who took their chances on coming here because uh, it's very important to make sure they're they're in a comfortable place coming here because i i i i just want to make sure everyone's everybody's having a good time and uh yeah i was after the interviewed and you know ended and and i walked her to her car i was like oh man i, I probably came off as a real dickhead in the beginning i was like uh i was panicking i was like uh but i am once again i am glad that it all worked out it all worked out uh so Let's head on over with my conversation with Ren Gasek. Uh, before we get there, I'm going to put on a song from her latest album. Once again, it's called Ren Love Song. It is available on Bandcamp. And uh, the song that I'm going to put on, it's called Love Song Number One. And the reason I'm putting it on, because uh, after you know the interview ended and I was again nervous about it, I was a nervous wreck. I put on the album to listen to it, and when this song came on, it really relaxed me. It had a real soothing uh, aesthetic to it. And not only that, but we talked about the song in our conversation, so I felt it was a very fitting song to to feature on this episode. So uh, here is Ren Gasek's song, Love Song Number One, and uh, once again, thank you for tuning in.
they're always they they used to be audio smut then they're the heart now they're like taking a break and they're probably gonna change their name again i don't know you can change your name how many episodes in are, are they oh it's been they had like years as audio smut and then they had like two years as the heart and now i don't know what's gonna happen see that's a ballsy move like yeah they're very ballsy there (laughs) because you you know i don't know like people like let's say you want to get new new listeners and they use they know you as one name and they look for you they can't find you like oh i couldn't find them yeah or anyway like i don't like at least least, because for me when i started out i just put my initials you know Uh because it was meant for fun it was just me and my friends who were comedians Oh yeah, cool. But yeah. it kind of expanded to musicians and then mm-hmm. artists, and mm-hmm. then before I knew it, there's a whole bunch of people characters on here. I'm like, I wish I had a more professional name to this podcast. But I was like, I guess I'll stick with it for now. Maybe later on, I, I can change the the meanings of the letters. There you go. You know, maybe there you go. But not there yet. I don't know yet. Yeah, you could totally. So, do that. so you're a fan of podcasting, right? Oh, I listen to so many podcasts. I listen to a lot of the story ones, like. Uh, Snap Judgment and Risk and like This American Life and then I like ones like um, Radio Lab and Freakonomics. Oh, Radio Lab, love it. Oh yeah, that one's so good. Yeah. I was just listening to Radio Lab on the way over here. <laughs> I uh, think it was Radio Lab. Yeah. Which which episode was the? They were talking about um, surrogates um, in who are uh, Indian women who like went to Nepal to be surrogates for Israeli couple like gay couples yeah and then when the earthquake happened in Kathmandu there was it was it was all kind of brought to light because there was all these um gay couples with like 24 little infants and they were like going to the Israeli embassy like we got to get out of here because of the earthquake yeah and there were still women that hadn't yet given birth and it was just like this kind of big cluster sounds horrible um, oh jesus yeah so See, and, already that's a much interesting podcast I, it's, it's oh, interesting sorry. yeah and since they've uh now um now since since like running this story i guess they've nepal has banned all surrogacy like for anyone mm. they, they're like not cool with it anymore well, because earthquakes are more frequent there, right? So the likelihood well, not, of this happening will happen again. Well, that's not why. I think if they're banning it because it's it's uh, it's kind of taking advantage of the women. Um, oh, I see. In a see. way, like they're not getting paid appropriately, or like the the whole interaction is a little weird and and like not great. So yeah. I think that it just was sort of a they were like, wow, this is weird. Like all these this specific thing and like these companies that are coming in from outside and sort of running this whole weird well, setup. Well, well that's the beauty of a podcast you get to learn about these things more in depth <laughs> i know you know what i'm saying i know so, i love it <laughs> yeah. but thank you for coming here uh, uh yeah. i i got a chance to listen to your to your album oh cool which you brought with you Ren. yeah i want to give song. you that thank oh, you thank you and I, I love the art it's very minimalistic my mom painted that uh, bird your mom's an artist well yeah yeah do you come from a creative uh, household I'd say so. Yeah. I mean, in a way, my mom just sort of casually does art and she always paints birds. So I told her to paint a wren for my, because that's a wren bird. Uh-huh. Yeah. For my album cover. And so she did. And, and uh, yeah, she's always kind of sung around the house. She's just a little singing, but I don't know. They're, yeah, pretty, pretty creative. How about your father? He takes uh, credit for my rhythm. He says that, you know. <laughs> Was I, he a musician? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, he says that when I when I was a baby, he would hold me on his chest and like hum all the time, and the vibrations would make me go to sleep. Oh, I don't. 
I don't know how he can take credit for anything, really. But no, I'm just kidding. He's he's sweet. Is it on the album? Is his rhythm credit to father? <laughs> no, but they get my parents deserve a lot of credit for all the help and the support they've given me. So when did it start for you, uh, music wise? Uh, I believe you started very young. Yeah, I started singing when I was really young at church, and that's when I first started singing solos and stuff. And then I sang at school, and I was in school plays. And um, I was Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz in third grade, and it was my big shining moment. Uh, and yeah, and I always sing in church, and I always sing choir in high school and stuff. And then when I was uh, applying for colleges, I ended up uh, applying to a bunch of schools that had music programs, and specifically Cal State Long Beach for their jazz program. And then I didn't, I had to, when I auditioned, I had to audition with a classical piece. And I was really nervous about that. And you could pick a classical piece and a musical theater piece. And um, the musical theater piece I, I picked was actually considered a jazz standard. And I only had the lead sheet, like jazz lead sheet for it. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, the director of the vocal jazz program happened to be in the room. So she could step in because the um, classical accompanist looked at the lead sheet and goes, this isn't. I don't play this. Like oh. this is a jazz lead sheet. This isn't for yeah. me. So the the vocal director stepped in and she played and I got to sing it like a jazz song, which is more my style, and then she accepted me right there, which was really cool. And I got to go to Long Beach and it was a good school for that. So Was jazz a, a genre that was played in your household as as you were a child or was that something you got into later? Yeah, I'd say it was. Um you know Frank Sinatra, Ella Fitzgerald, Billie Holiday. Yeah, all those were yeah. played. You know, and then a lot of you know '60s music. And my mom really liked 1950s, like doo-wop kind of stuff too. Uh-huh. So it was all a really wide variety. But I'd say it, for sure we had like plenty of Ella Fitzgerald, you know, Frank Sinatra, Billie Holiday. But my tastes have changed and evolved. And now I'd say Nina Simone is my favorite. Nina Simone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's Nomakita Pa is one of my favorites from her. <sighs> Which is a cover in itself, right? From, yeah. From Jacques, yeah. Nomakita uh, Pa. Yeah. I, actually, I, I got I'm talking to you because I'm actually having a reintroduction to jazz. Like, for the longest mm. time, I put away jazz. I'm more of a blues cat, mm-hmm. you know? So mm-hmm. And for a while... I like blues, too. But now I'm collecting jazz cassettes, mm. specifically jazz cassettes. Mm. And it just, it's opening doors to a whole bunch of uh, players I've never even heard before. You know, because Billie Holiday you're familiar with. And, mm-hmm. and, and But then you, you, you look back, and you know, of course, I love Benny Goodman. Mm. We look at the people he's playing with, like Count Basie and all of that. I was like, holy crap. It was for me, like, like mm. I, I was like, why did I tune out to this for so long? It made no sense for me. So that's why I'm really surprised to hear that from a young age, you got into jazz and it was like, kind of your world well mostly vocalists like jazz vocalists um more than instrumental jazz and even now i'm finding some of the really out there like modern jazz i just went to new york and there was we went to a place where they did two songs in one hour (laughs) yeah yeah and i was just what okay all right here we go you know it's just a lot for me and i want to be like hip enough to understand it but my you heard my album it's sort of kind of country it's it's a little country jazzy <laughs> so it's, it's very sweet it's very easy listening like it, yeah. it, it relaxed me uh, yeah you know, uh, i was like well, okay you, you have country and um like americana americana is cool a cool title because it inc- involves or it includes jazz blues yeah. country 
it like all the things which well, is nice one thing i really um caught on was how well your production was in this album mm-hmm. where did you record this i recorded at vox recording studio in la mm. i got really really lucky um this is my first album and i had a gentleman from here from san jose who had helped another friend of mine with her album he basically said you know i want to help someone else with another project you know let me know what i can do so i already had a producer in mind and i talked to him and we put together a budget and then i was able to go to that gentleman and say okay this is this is the breakdown of everything like what i think it will cost of course it always costs more than that yeah (laughs) always but you know this is the breakdown and what can you do you know what are you willing to do obviously i don't expect you to give me that much money but you know let's see and he was really really generous and then from there i was able to crowdfund the rest of the necessary funds to make it to really go all out you know and i i think i could you can always make an album for less money there are totally ways to do it um, and make a really great album for on a on a budget, I think. Mm-hmm. But I had the opportunity and, and people coming through for me, so I decided, okay, I'm going to go full on. And I hired some ridiculous musicians from L.A., this guy Anthony Wilson, who plays with Dinah Krall and has is a secret like country fan. He's a great guitar player, and he's a secret country like aficionado. He's so good at that. Um and the bass player has played on like everyone's stuff in LA. He's played on tons of sessions. The drummer plays with Beck. He used to play with Elliot Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, the pedal steel player, great guy too. He used to live in New York, now lives in LA and plays with all kinds of people. And it was like this crazy cast of characters. And the producer too is this guy, Jesse Harris, who, um, who wrote five of the songs on Nora Jones' first record. Mm. So, um, he did pretty well there, <laughs> but he um, was there any adjustment you had to make when you were collaborating in that level? I I just wanted to prove to them that I was worthy of the opportunity. Basically, I, you know, it was a lot of pressure for myself to um, to play at that level, and it was nice too because I did have my friend John Dryden, who's another amazing musician, but lives here, and he was with me on the journey too. He 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 came down to LA with me, and he played on the record too, and he was great. And it was nice to have a friendly person. Everyone was friendly, but yeah. like a friendly person that I know well. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's pressure to like just nail it, right? But I felt like once I got going and hearing how well they played the songs. I mean, they brought a lot to the table um, just from the start, and it was really incredible. So, it, it you know, he started to relax. I remember sitting in the studio, though, because I was in this separate room. The room where they have all the keyboard instruments is where I was sitting to record. And there's a window, and I, look, I can look into the room where the bass player, pedal steel guitar, and... Um, grand piano were and they were all in the same room together and I was separate from them for the recording Mm -hmm. and I'm just sitting there and they're all getting ready and I um I just I don't know I my friend Amy Davalos who's from here and who you should totally have on your podcast um she texted (laughs) yes um she texted me at that moment and just said this like oh you know you deserve everything and have the best time and really enjoy it and I totally started crying and I was like oh my gosh pull it together Uh you've got to sing now um but it was a really just wonderful it's a funny picture you got these professional studio musicians 
Yeah. You know, and you're over here crying. Yeah. Trying to get ready. Yeah. Trying to pull it together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> totally. And I was really sick. I had, I got a cold right the day, oh, is that the right worst? then. Yeah. Yeah. We had three days in the studio. And the first day I was really sick and, um, you know, singing all the songs. And my producer, he's like, it's okay. Don't worry. Just sing through. We'll get, a, you know, the best live take we can get. And then if you need to overdub anything on the last day, no big deal. Mm. But when we got to the last day, a lot of the original recording stayed. He he was like, you know what? On this song, like the little bit of raspiness kind of adds a little bit more character. It's more vulnerable. There's something yeah. to it. Let's just keep it. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I play music myself. Mm-hmm. You know, not as much as you know as that uh, lately because I've been busy. Mm-hmm. But w- one of the worst things that that for some reason happens to me is I get sick before you know the show. Ugh. And my my bass player who who's a good friend of mine he's like you know what I like it when you get sick you get, you get like this Tom Waits raspiness to you I'm like it's not what I want <laughs> I know. You know but I'll take it I guess yeah. yeah 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 there's even songs on the record that you know made it all the way through the whole thing and I listen I go wow yeah I sound sick <laughs> to myself <laughs> I mean other people will say wow it sounds so emotional so vulnerable and I go, um, yeah, I sound sick. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> well. There's something to say about that. I think talking about Nina Simone uh, mm-hmm. as a singer. Totally. Is as classically trained as, as she was, is she had a rawness to her. Mm-hmm. That when you heard a song, you're like, that's Nina Simone. Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I feel there's a lot of great singers. Uh, talk, there are a lot of great singers, but sometimes when, when you're constantly listening to great singers, they all blend. Mm-hmm. You know, because they're hitting the right notes and stuff. Yeah. So you kind of, I feel sometimes you lose the personality. Yeah. But then there are some who like, like, like they have a distinct sound to them. Yeah. Nina Simone is one of those for sure. A really distinct sound. I agree. Do do you ever think about that when you're, when you're singing and and writing your music? Yeah, in a way. But I also, I really enjoy the purity of the voice too. My other favorite singer is Eva Cassidy, right? Eva Cassidy. I never know how to pronounce it right, but... That's a really pure voice and also unique in a way. And you can tell that it's her, but um, it's just this purity that I really like too. And I, sometimes when people have like an affectation to their voice and it's put on, it doesn't sound like it's actually coming from them. It's feels like gimmicky. It's yeah, it feels like a gimmick. And I don't like that personally. Um, It's not my, it's not my favorite sound. So I just try to sound like what I sound like. And if it's unique to somebody, then cool. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, see, this is your first album. Yes. Your debut album. Mm-hmm. You've been singing for a long time. Yes. Why did you feel now was a good time to do it? Well, like I said before, it was kind of this uh, bringing together all the different elements that there was money available. and um, Sorry. No, it's okay. Um, (laughs) There was money available, and um, I had some songs that I really liked that I wanted to do. And just kind of like the stars aligned. It seemed like the right time. And also with albums and stuff, you can put things off forever thinking, oh, I'm not ready, I'm not ready. So when the time, when when the opportunity presents itself, it's best to just dive in and go for it. And so I did. I tried not to doubt myself. What was the sign? What was the, the moment you're like... Well, it's the time. I'd say, I mean, it was probably when uh, Vinny was like, uh, I really want to help you. And, you know, let me know what I can do. I was like, okay, what? Really? He just kind of came out of nowhere. 
with this offer to help. And you don't get that very often, so that's a sign it's time to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, there's a song which is um, called Love Song Hashtag One, number one. Yes. You know? Uh, I was like, that's like, I'm. Why'd you name it like that? I'm just curious. Because <laughs> I, I was looking at the album, is there like a hashtag number two or three or four? It's like, no, it's just one. It's the first happy love song I ever wrote. What's the story behind that song? Well, I'm still dating the guy, so it's still a happy story. <laughs> um, but I, uh, my friend John Dryden had written this melody, and he sent it to me in an email. And he is like a waterfall of com- compositions. This guy can write. He really can write in a high volume. His name is John Dryden, and he is the the bomb. Um, but he's a piano player. So he sent me this recording of this melody, and it sat on my phone, and eventually I got it onto a playlist on one of my on my iTunes. And I was listening one day, and I dis- rediscovered it. And I'm just listening to the car, and I just started writing these lyrics while I was in the car, just sort of... Um, off the top of my head about a conversation that I had with my boyfriend where over text where I basically said something like I gosh I I just don't think you'll ever understand how much I love you I just love you so much oh it's that feeling like oh I just love you so much um and so yeah so the the line about you uh, know I let me tell you all the ways I'm loving you today and you'll never know what did he text back he, he, he's the same. <laughs> he's like he's very mushy like me, yeah. but it's kind of uh, embarrassing. We're very mushy. It was a I hope it wasn't like oh cool, no you no know, or something. No, he's very L-O-L. much. He's well. he. You know what? Honestly, I may be twisting the story, and he may have been the one to say it to say all that nice stuff because he's very like like that. Mm-hmm. And um, but yeah, he uh, yeah. So that's the story of love song number one. It was. It was just feeling very much in love and happy and wanting to kind of put that into a song. And then that melody just, it happened really fast. I think I wrote that song, the lyrics to that in, a, in like a day. Mm. And me and John adjusted the melody melody just a tiny bit to fit what I had written. Um, and yeah, it turned out to be a really cool song. And the first happy love song, it's so hard to write happy songs. <laughs> you know what? You are completely right. <laughs> you, you you hit on something very, very interesting. Yeah. Because I was looking at the songs I've written, uh-huh. and I was like, none, none of them are really happy songs. Yeah. Like, you know, like, out of these 10 songs, nothing really... And then I, you have to make an effort to really... I don't know. I, I thought it was just me, but I'm glad, you know, hearing that from you. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. But you said it came to you in one day. So that song was a gift, really. Yeah. Because, you know, some songs you just go at it and it takes days and weeks, even months, even then maybe like half a year later, you're like, ah, oh, how come I didn't think of, you know, changing this or that? Yes. But then there have been songs where you write them like other songs I've written like in an hour or two. Yes. And just totally. you don't have no idea where it came from. Right? Yes. And that's a gift. I feel. Yeah, so, it is. Does that make sense? Is it that is. A it's a weird? gift. No, it's a gift. It's it's weird how they sometimes come together really fast. I just recently wrote a song with my buddy Bob Welsh on guitar. And I was on my way to his house to do a rehearsal. And my mom and I had had this conversation because I wanted to write a song about my grandma. And I had been writing this, and I'm still trying to write this kind of sentimental song about her life story and everything. Um, And 
my mom was like, you know, maybe don't put so much pressure on yourself right away. Maybe just think of like one of grandma's catchphrases and write a song about that. And the catchphrase that she thought of was, if you can take him, you can have him. Or if she can take him, she can have him. Very sassy. Oh, wow. Very sassy catchphrase. I like your grandma. I know. Totally awesome. And so I was thinking about that on the way to this rehearsal with Bob. And I wrote pretty much all the verses and just recorded them on voice memo. And uh, I had... uh, I had like most of the lyrics by the time I got to his house and then when we were there I was like okay Bob I kind of want this to be an upbeat um, country song you know about with with these lyrics and he just like came up with the chords really fast and I started singing and that song wrote itself in like 30 minutes mm. it was so ridiculously fast and it's really fun and I mean if, if you can take him you can have him that's a great song title <laughs> <laughs> thank you grandma <laughs> So I want to go back a bit. Okay. So you're you're in chorus. You're in church. Yes. And you you follow up with music in middle school. Is that correct? Kind of. Or, or at what point did you start singing outside of like a, an institution and you start your own mm. your own thing really? Well, I did a little bit of singing outside of my um, outside out of, of, school. of school and yeah. stuff. When I was in high school, a little bit, you know, I actually, one of my first gig experiences was singing for, being asked to sing some hymns um, and a, one other song for a memorial service. And they asked me how much I wanted to get paid. I think I was a senior in high school and I felt so uncomfortable asking for any money for that. Right. It felt really awkward. awkward. Yeah. And I didn't know the person who had passed and... I, you know, they were asking me to perform a service, but I still felt really weird. And I remember calling my, the music, musical director at my church, Joanne, to ask her what I should do. I was like, I don't feel comfortable asking for any money from these people, you know. And um, I remember she taught me a really good lesson. She said, you know, you got to, you have to put a value on the work you're doing. Mm -hmm. So you need to ask for at least $100. (laughs) And I was like okay but I felt so weird it was it was very strange but so that was like a couple experiences like that memorials weddings things like that when I was in high school and then I went away to college and in college I was pretty much in school doing the thing and then after I graduated I was in a a I was a background vocalist in a Motown band and I was in a professional acapella group (laughs) (laughs) what's wrong with that that's pretty big these days isn't it the pitch perfect film oh I don't know not uh, my, not, I mean, really amazing people. Like, loved them. But, but so just like, not my thing. Like, I don't yeah. know how I got. I, I was kind of, at the time, taking every opportunity that came my way. So, right. And that was one. And, and the people were super nice. And I learned the music. And it's always all, all learning experience. Then my big, my first big job working as a singer was on a cruise ship. I worked for Carnival Cruise Lines for how, six months. How was that experience like? Totally weird. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun, really fun. I got to sing t- tons of different styles of music. I, I learned that I can sing any style, which was nice. Um, Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses was my um, my bread and butter, I think. Uh-huh. I w- it was so fun to do. So you got a bit of rock and roll in you. Oh, totally. It was really fun to shock people, I found. Yeah. Uh, that's where I found out that I like shocking people. So, <laughs> uh, 
uh, and that was super well, fun. You went from one classic jazz standard to to Guns N' Roses. Yeah. <laughs> well, it wasn't in the same set, but you know, they'd yeah. see me singing, you know, jazz in a gown because there was a, there was always formal night one night a cruise per per cruise there was this formal night where you had to I was wearing like sequins and stuff, so. That night I'm singing jazz standards, and then two nights later it's Rock in the Promenade, and I'm singing Guns and Roses. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the jungle. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Oh yeah. Or, or was it? Was that the song you? Would... Yeah, Welcome to the Jungle and Sweet Child of Mine. Okay. Both of them. Those were my. I loved. It. I loved it. It was so fun. How'd you get that gig? That's such a like specific, unique gig Cra- almost. Craigslist. Wow. Yeah, I was looking every day. I wanted to. I really wanted to leave the part-time job I had. Um, I they was, might have asked what you were doing. I was working as a receptionist at a law firm in Newport Beach, mm. and I lived in Long Beach, so there was quite a commute. And oh, that's right, because you moved because you were going to college over there, mm-hmm. and you were living the life over there. Yeah, got it. Okay, living, living the life. So I was looking for something new every day, and then that came up, and I um, it was through an agency called Landau, I think. Um, Landau Cruises, something. Mm-hmm. Anyways, they um, they were based in San Diego. So after work one day, I drove down to San Diego and I auditioned with them. And then I got the job. And then I left my other job and went home for a while and then shipped out from there to uh, Tampa, Florida, where my, that was my home port. And my ship just went from Tampa, Florida to Grand Cayman and Cosmo, Mexico, and around and around and around and around and around. Yeah. And you sleep on the ship, and singers get their own room on cruise ships. That's a thing. I don't know why. Like, managers and singers get their own room. I don't know why that is, but it was cool. Sounds like a good deal to me. It was a nice benefit. (laughs) Uh, You didn't get seasick? I was afraid that I would because I do. I do get really bad motion sickness usually, um, but the ship was big enough that I was okay. And the only times that I got a little sick, I couldn't tell if I was seasick or if I was hungover because oh. there was a lot of drinking. Yeah. <laughs> Way more drinking than I ever did in college was done on that cruise ship. Okay. <laughs> it was crazy. Now, uh, you were born and raised here in the Bay Area, right? Yes. In San Jose specifically? Yes. What yeah. high school do you go to? Lee. Lee. Okay. Yeah. So at what point did you move back to the area after living in L.A.? Um, After the cruise ship. So I was on this ship for six months, and it was kind of a transitional period. I knew I either needed to move into L.A. proper and try to do the L.A. thing or come home. And while I was on the ship, um, one of my family members had a, like, kind of a bad surgery and was having a really hard time. And it was really hard to be away from that. And so... It kind of made me realize and and fully appreciate that I really want to be near my family and that that's probably more important to me than being famous or any other thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm here now. I'm I love being in San Jose. I want to I want to make it. I want people to hear the record, but I don't want to live in LA and I don't even want to live in New York or Nashville. I just want to live here and use the internet and travel and do mm-hmm. tours and stuff, but I'd rather stay here. Well, how would you best describe the landscape you experienced musically in L.A. and the landscape you came back to? Well, I got to, you know, to be honest, I didn't fully get involved in the scene in L.A. when I was down there. I think I lacked a lot of confidence, and working on the cruise ship really enhanced my confidence. Um, so, I, you know, I think if I went down to L.A. now, I would probably take more advantage of things and, and have 
find more opportunities for myself. Um, but it is different. I mean, there's a lot more and there's more in, in LA and New York and some of the bigger cities that have, have these big music scenes, you have a chance of actually running into people who have success or who are more mainstream. You know, you can just like meet them on the streets of LA or New York. You know, I, I was just in New York last weekend yeah. and I met this guy, this drummer, um, his name is Rudy Royston, and I hadn't heard of him before, but um, he's a <laughs> he's this like modern jazz contemporary drummer. And everyone that we were at the gig with was saying, "This guy is the guy. This is the New York guy that people call for jazz gigs." Mm-hmm. And he was really, really good. And I start talking to him, and I tell him I just released this record that's kind of country, Americana, jazzy ish. Um, and he was like, "Oh, I want to play that music." what dude really you do (laughs) um and we got in this whole conversation he he was like everyone calls me for these jazz gigs and i love doing like modern jazz and jazz and stuff but i also want to do other things and i want to do more simple music that's all about the groove that's all about the pocket i just want to do some different stuff it was shocking and and he goes and what do i do do i go to a jam session he's asking me for advice do do i go to a jam for that kind of music is what's Uh the process how do i meet people that are doing that i'm like i don't okay cool um but you know he plays with people nationally internationally he like tours all over the place with different bands that are really well known and i was shocked but in new york you can just run into somebody like that and have a full-on conversation and just hand them your CD and say, hey, mm-hmm. want to listen to this? Um, <laughs> so it was, uh, that that's the thing you don't get really in San Jose. But maybe someday you will because San Jose is awesome. There's a lot of really talented people here. I feel like we get no credit. Well, you know, <laughs> it, it's there. You just got to look for it. It's a little harder, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. And I think especially in the jazz community, it's growing. Mm-hmm. I think the uh, jazz festival has really um, uh, expedited that process. I mean, I mean, there's not that many. I feel jazz specific venues. You know, I can only think of one or, or two, three at, at right now in my head. Mm-hmm. But I think the the appreciation of it is growing. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're starting to charge now at the at the SJ uh, yeah. jazz festival. So that's saying something. Yeah, they are able to do that. But they, you know, they bring in a lot of people from outside. But it's good that it's always good that people are appreciating jazz and willing to pay for it or really willing to pay for any music, really. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I went to the Art Boutique last night and saw some friends play, and they were doing um, two of the bands were pretty, like, hip jazz stuff. Um, the first band was cool. They did really cool songs, singer-songwriter type thing. Really cool. Um, everything was cool about that night. But, you know, the Art Boutique is this venue that's been around for a really long time but you know and they're asking people to pay like there was a ticket price it was it was serious but mm-hmm. people did and there was a pretty good crowd there so mm-hmm. that's great to see it's great to see people appreciating the scene and appreciating the music that we have you had a show there didn't you yeah i had my okay. release show there yeah okay yeah i thought i heard something like that the sound is amazing at but, our boutique but you reminded me actually um i remember a week when i was sending the email to confirm for this I got another email that came from the Mexico Theater people, mm-hmm. and you got a show coming in the Montgomery Theater. Yes. Oh, and, I'm and, glad that you that and, you brought that up because I should have brought it up. No, it's just <laughs> funny because he, 
uh, for me, it took a minute to be like, wait, is this real? Because like, mm-hmm. I just emailed you, and then I got an email telling me to go to your show. I think, <laughs> I think that's a sign, Ren. I should it go is. to your show. You got to go to that I, one. I, I definitely got to go to that one. It's going to be a big one. <laughs> well, but you're already a, a, a big name locally here. You know, you. I don't know about that. <laughs> well, well, I think. I mean, I, I look at your website, and you're you're gigging on a regular basis. True. Like yes. o- almost every weekend, almost right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which which says a lot around yeah. here, I feel. That says a lot. Yeah. Uh, that, that your work ethic must be tremendous. You know, yeah, sure, sure, yes. <laughs> I'm also in a band, so a lot of the gigs that I have really regularly are with this group, this great group I'm in called Dolce Musica, and my bandmate, Chris, in that group is the booking master. Mm. Any really Italians? No. no. So they got the name. It was a Fellini th- film, right? The Dolce Vita? Vita? No, they got the name because they we used to play at this chocolate cafe in Saratoga called Dolce Bella. Ah. And someone asked them what their name was, and they said, oh, Dolce Musica. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> but the, Which that, translates to double music, right? No, no, sweet music. Sweet music. Okay, there we yeah, go. Sweet yeah, music. Yeah, yeah the, um, Chris is really, really good at booking gigs. So, you know, I, I can't chop that all up to my own... Mm-hmm. devices there but i do do a pretty good job of trying to book like one big gig with my full band a month because you also don't want to wear people out a lot of times i'm asking people to pay a ticket price to come to a show and i if i have a gazillion shows where i'm asking for people to pay money to come see that are in the area it's not going to work now how many pieces do you have in your band for the montgomery theater so i get to full. have everyone which is so exciting uh piano bass drums guitar and pedal steel guitar Mm. and my pedal steel guitar player is this guy named bobby black who um used to record and play in nashville and he's like in his 80s and he's still playing and he's awesome and super super nice Mm. and it's really an honor that he even that he wants to play with me it's like so cool he's like a legendary dude so yeah it's it's been really awesome because I see some jazz bands and they're from like you know four piece to like an eight piece or a ten piece yeah like how do you even coordinate you know <laughs> yeah yeah i mean in and in those circumstances you have a lot of horn players and they have specific parts and so maybe that's maybe somewhat easier to manage when in my group because it's sort of this americana country thing you've got three chordal instruments kind of like mm-hmm. pedal so pedal steel is like color like adds like a certain mood a very country mood and then you know you've got guitar chordal instrument piano chordal instrument and those two have to sort of not disrupt each other that's the you gotta everybody's gotta kind of move around each other and not um get in each other's way right not drown each other out yeah yeah and like leave space and like not just have this huge wall of sound all the time right there needs there has to be this give and take and and sometimes that can be harder when there's multiple chordal instruments hmm. so yeah did you learn that in, through your studies at college, or was it something you learned on the on the fly, just jamming? Oh, you just learn that by being in bands. You know, I was in a, uh, I'm in a band that's going to release a five song EP. That band is awesome and totally different than my CD, but it's funk and soul music, uh-huh. and the band is called the Renegades. And we're probably somebody someday is going to come up and say you can't have that name, <laughs> but the for now we're called the Renegades. I'm pretty sure there's somebody else with that name, but but probably ooh. like a hockey team or something or a soccer. No, yeah, I don't JV soccer or something. Yeah, I don't know, but w- that was kind of a joke. The name, anyways, from the start, but we're called the Renegades, so that's what it is for now. But um, 
we're releasing this five song EP, but in the band on the on the EP we have guitar, bass, drums, and keyboards. And for a long time we didn't have keyboards in the band, and then we decided we wanted to add in keyboard. And it took it probably took a whole year for us to feel comfortable and feel like there was space in the music and everybody nobody was stepping on each other's toes because we had these you know original songs and specific arrangements that we had done a long time without any other chordal instruments besides the guitar. So then now the guitar player has to sort of stop playing at certain points or play different, less, less, so that it's not just this huge wall of sound and and, um, overwhelming thing so that we can have dynamics, basically. Mm -hmm. So you just learn that by being in bands and then you know what it sounds like. And it's hard to, sometimes hard to fix the problem because everybody has to get together and really- Be on the same page. Totally be on the same and page. Some people have egos. Not in, not in this particular case, but well, yes. I feel jazz musicians are a bit more, you know, chill. At least the ones I've met around here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, everybody, yeah, they're chill. They're chill. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's friends in the band. Well, that's another thing, too, is that as a singer, you often, like, I started out when I first came to San Jose. I was the one getting the gigs or not not getting the gigs no i was the one being asked to do the gigs by somebody who had a gig already they needed a vocalist so they hired me almost like a sideman vocalist you were you were Um, a a gun for hire kind of yeah kind of so that was the case for a while and then things started changing and i became the person with the gigs to give so i was calling in musicians that i wanted to play with and stuff and um you know over time you play with people and and you know, you pick the people who are challenging you to get better and also who you like. Yeah. And not that is not to say I'm like on I'm on a podcast here. That's not to say that I don't really love like uh, I really like the people in the scene. Of course. You, I you, do. I'm, you not, have, I'm not. Yeah. But you, but, but, you, but you have like your people, your team and the people that you yeah. ended up you end up using more. So I, you know, you over time you kind of pick the guys you like and, and there's not really much drama Good. Which is nice. Good. It's, yeah. <laughs> I've been lucky so far, yeah, for the most part. Yeah. The, the, the guys that I've played with so far, they're, we're cool, we're chill. Yeah. I think I'm the one who's the most worried because I'm the front man, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, do you learn, you mm-hmm. know, skills as being as the front woman to, yes. to a band? Do you feel like you, there's an evolution the way you, you carry that? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to being a front person um, because you not only have to sort of make sure that you start and end together. Um, you also have to do a lot of administrative work, I find. Like, okay, we're learning a new song. Everybody needs charts. I need to print out the charts. Or, the, you know, yeah. I need to print out, like, all this stuff and make sure. Or or I need to send the email about the gig to the person. or da, 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 All this, like, administrative stuff. Um, and, you know, it it's hard. Like the, a lot of the people you're playing with are people who've been sidemen for a long time. And so even when you're trying to give them more responsibility, um, it's you know people have to like learn the same skills that I've been learning for a few years. That just that you have to follow up on emails and do all this administrative work. And and yes, the create it'd be fun to just do the creative side of things, but it's not. How about performance wise? You know, like interacting uh, with the audience and oh yeah, make sure the energy's going. Dude, that's something I, when I'm having fun and really relaxed and just kind of doing my own thing and like excited, all of that comes out really naturally. When I'm nervous or if I'm 
for some reason not sure about what's going on musically, I have to work really hard to be yeah. charismatic and you know charming. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but when I'm having fun and, you know, I had a gig at Stritch recently, Cafe Stritch, and I remember the beginning of the second set, I had so much fun. I was like dancing around and then everybody's on your team. Everyone's like, wow. I want to have as much fun as she's having. Yeah. Um, uh, Which I think there's a lesson to be learned for a lot of uh, musicians is that uh, in general, one thing is the music, another thing is the the presentation, the performance. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? If you look like you're having fun up there and your music's cool, Mm -hmm. the rest of the crowd will be with you. Yeah. But if you're there looking stressed out and you're just like, no matter how good the music is, if you look stressed out, you're like, I don't know. Yeah. They, they, they look like this, these people got like a gun to their head or something. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I, it's it's something, but that's part of it that I really struggle to, I work on a lot. I went, when I was in New York, went to this little workshop and performed and I can, you know, I sang the song well and everything, but the guy made a really good point. He said, you know, people want you to look at them. <laughs> you need to open your eyes and actually look at them in the face. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it's scary to do that sometimes and sometimes I feel really empowered to just look people stare them down and look right at them but a lot of times I'm I feel very nervous and and or if I'm singing a really powerful song I feel really empowered in the moment to be like yeah I'm look at me I'm doing it look at me I'm so great or what you know that that ego that you need to have when you're singing as soon as the song is over I'm looking down I'm giggling I'm moving away from the microphone oh don't look at me don't oh oh it's nothing's going on here don't look at what I'm doing so it's it's something I really am trying to get better at (laughs) in music though Miles beginning it was the opposite a little bit because I started Mm -hmm. stand-up comedy so in stand-up I'm Mm -hmm. looking at the audience of course you, but the first time that I played it live, I would stare at the audience as I played the song, like a terrified, you know, <laughs> animal. <laughs> and I talked to my, my again, my, my, my drummer, my bass, like, hey, just relax and space out and look at them once in a while. But it's okay to just space out. Uh-huh. And actually, I find that very magical. Like, I, once you're in that zone yeah. and you're doing your thing and just space out and it's, I can't describe it really. Yeah. It's like you're in the zone. Yeah. And that's nice. I, I do that too. I space out, but I think if I could, con- I could connect more if I could just, yeah. just focus in on people and um, relax enough to, to look at them. It, it's <laughs> You know, you find the people, my mom's at a lot of my gigs and I can always look at her because she'll smile right back at me. It's so nice <laughs> to have that security blanket. Oh, where's my mom? Oh, okay. She's smiling. Everything's good. Okay. She comes with the package wherever you, you get. Did you, <laughs> did you take her to the cruise line? <laughs> no. no. Oh. Although they did come and visit me on the ship. And oh, they, sweet. They were so shocked by Welcome to the Jungle. It was awesome. <laughs> my dad goes, he tells all these people, he's like sitting with this group of people and um, they don't know each other, but um, af- you know they know that he's my dad. And after I did Welcome to the Jungle, he felt the need to tell all of them that I was a really nice girl. Oh, oh she's a really, she's nice. She's a nice girl. She's, she's not crazy. <laughs> she looks crazy, but she's not crazy. <laughs> oh, it's so sweet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is there a, a particular uh, pr- um, process you go through in songwriting? Oh, it kind of changes. Um for, per song uh, sometimes I'll come up with a melodic line and I'll record it on voice memo or I'll come up with a 
a certain lyric and and then and a melody with it recorded on a voice memo or something uh, especially if i'm in the car that's the best way to do it um recently i somebody said something to me that like clicked as it should that that it should be um a song basically after that the two hour or it was one hour and two songs in in new york this guy messaged me the next day that I had met that night, and he's like, oh, you didn't miss it. After you left, you didn't miss much. They just did one more song that lasted another forever. And I was like, another forever? Hmm. It should be a song. That should be a song. That's a great song title. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote a song, well, what I think will be lyrics, and hopefully I can write a good melody to it, but I just wrote like a poem, basically, mm-hmm. um, a full thing. And hope, and then the idea is I'm, I'm going to go back and try and make a, put a melody to it. So sometimes it comes that way, or sometimes I just write like one line and then start putting that dip to a melody, and then from there I can write the rest of the lyrics. Um, usually starts with like one line, um, and then goes from there. But hmm. yeah. do you feel do you feel there's a certain theme that you keep coming back to in your songwriting? Uh, a lot of um, angsty love stuff. Hmm. Where's that come from? <laughs> I don't know. It was like previous relationships, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm not angsty anymore. But you can also like imagine, you know, you can empathize with other people's situations. If sure. you have friends that are going through angsty love situations, you can just sort of glom on to their Well, especially if you've gone through it. You could definitely you Yeah. Know, you can imagine what it would be like yeah. or what you're it's trying like, to say. So. It's like, oh, Joe's doing some pretty bad decisions. Well, you just got heartbroken. That cannot happen. It's yeah. a phase. Yeah. Yeah, so you can kind of, I don't know, keep all those in mind. Mm. Do you have siblings? I have an older brother. Is he also a musician? No, he's a lawyer. He's a lawyer. Yeah. Huh. He he uh, he went to San Jose State though, and he studied broadcast journalism. So I don't know, that's something. He never made a podcast though. <laughs> I studied film. Oh, that's cool. And I have a podcast apparently. I don't know. I think that's awesome. Totally different. <laughs> No, I was well, asking. It's still if, creative. Well, I was asking if you have siblings because sometimes the angsty angstiness I feel kind of goes along with the with, if you're a middle child. Oh, you know, where, you know. I'm the baby. You're the baby. I'm the baby. No, my my, I don't know. My brother did influence me in terms of my um, love for country music because he loved country music when we were growing up and listened to a lot of old country and you know Garth Brooks. <laughs> so, yeah. He, uh, you know, he Patsy Klein, any Patsy? Oh, a ton of Patsy Klein. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm. I feel vo- vocally very influenced by Patsy Klein. Actually, Patsy Klein's the reason why I collect cassettes. Really? Yeah, yeah. Because I I went to the record store and as a joke I brought like I because I don't know who she was really. Uh-huh. So as a joke I bought her cassette album. You know, so oh, if cool. I have like you know friends over, it's like hey check this out. You know, uh-huh. look at who we used to listening to. Yeah. And I popped that baby in. And the first note in the song came out. I was like, whoa, what is this? This is amazing. Yeah. That's it, so cool. Uh, and like I was, and just hearing that album on cassette, it had pretty good sound. I was, yeah. For some reason, I thought it was like some prim- primitive sound. <laughs> but it's actually really good sound. I was like, you know what? I got to buy more cassettes. Yeah. You know? cool. And I went back and it was like all jazz cassettes. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I guess I got to start somewhere. And before I know it, I was in this rabbit hole of like, you know, yes. Coltrane and this and that. And I was like, yeah. I was a pretentious asshole. With the whole blues thing. I really was. <laughs> no. No. But uh, what kind of country were you guys listening to? Uh, uh, Johnny Cash. you got to have Johnny Cash. In the sure, Johnny right? Cash. Johnny Cash. Um, I really love Willie Nelson. 
a mm. lot. Mm. Now that's a songwriter. That's oh, a special kind of songwriter. Holy cow! Yeah. Yes, amazing. And if and then like Bob Dylan, I don't know if you can. That's not really country, but some, some people categorize it in there um, because there, of the. There's some songs and albums. Yeah, I really like all the songs from Nashville Skyline. That's pretty country. Because um, gospel years, yeah, yeah, some mm-hmm. country sounds to those. Totally. Too. Yeah. 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 I'm a huge Bob Dylan fan. Um, you know, and all the all the people in between, but. Willie Nelson is probably one of my faves. Do you feel like your songwriting evolved to what it is now, or did you feel you always had that combination of like waiting I, for it, or you know, work on the melody and? Um, it 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 took a really long time for me to finish any songs. I had a lot of half-written songs that and none finished for many many years. Um, and then one day I just my friend was like you just need to lock yourself in your room until you finish one of them <laughs> and I did and so then I was able to start finishing them but you know yeah it's always I guess changing and evolving it, you know it it starts at different phases throughout the pro you know maybe it'll start with lyric or it'll start with melody it just sort of changes up or it usually starts with an idea um but yeah I don't know <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it, it it uh it definitely does change I want to be I'd like to be somebody who writes more volume of songs. Um, apparently, Dolly, Part- Dolly Parton is another one I really like. Dolly Parton writes a song every day, or used to write a song every day. And I want to write a song every day. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah. And, and then if you write a ton of songs like that, you just get way better, way faster. Yeah. Um, my my uh, bandmate, John Dryden, who we, I wrote Love Song Number One with, he recently has had some an epiphany and he's written a gazillion songs in the last like two months mm. i think he's written probably 40 or 50 yeah just just a huge volume and they're really good and they're getting better and better because he's writing so many so it's it's it i don't know it's just important to keep doing it to not get discouraged that's the main thing about anything in the music business and music career is just like keep keep trucking Keep walking along, going in the right direction. Yeah, that's a lesson that I still struggle with too. You know, it's like you really got to treat it like a job, in the sense mm-hmm. that whether you feel it or you don't feel it, you got to do the work. Yeah. You know, you can't always wait around. Yeah. And, but but yeah, it's 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 you got to do the work. You get you know, I think it's a mistake I, I've done was just wait around till it comes to me. Mm-hmm. But now it's like, all right, you gotta make an effort. You gotta. Yeah, you have to actually sit in front of that blank piece of paper and put something to it. And I listened to Dan Auerbach. He was in an interview of the Black Keys, uh-huh. frontman of the Black Keys. Okay. And he, he like, you know, he's like, yeah, he wrote like uh, hundreds of songs. And and the post of who was interviewing was really impressed. Like, oh my God, a hundred songs. He goes, yeah, but a lot of them were shitty songs. You know, yeah. like, you still got to do the work. Yeah. And then out of that bunch, you you find the diamonds. Yeah. Yeah, or you find like the one line you really like or whatever. Yeah, you can, and then you can, you realize you can take things from old songs, you can rearrange, you can, it's yours, you wrote it, you can do whatever you want with it. And then another thing too that I try to remember and, and remind, remind myself of is that it's a lifelong pursuit. It is not, I'm not going to be a flash in the pan. It's, this is something I will be doing my whole life if I'm lucky and, and that's what I intend to do. So, you know, if, if things aren't working out the way I want right now or, you know, if, if down the line I'm feeling disappointed, I just have to keep going because what else am I going to do? There's really nothing else for me. That's what I want to do. So that's you right. just got to keep going. So that's what I, I try to keep in mind. You mentioned that you're currently working for the university. 
Yes. For the music one department. Of my jobs. <laughs> uh, what do you do for the music department at San Jose State University? I am the jazz voice teacher. So I teach private lessons for um, students that have chosen jazz vocal voice as their emphasis for their jazz studies major. So like in a jazz studies major, you could pick trumpet, trombone, and really any instrument. And, and up until recently, you really couldn't pick voice as your emphasis. Um, but they just changed it. So now you can. And I'm the person that you would take lessons from if you if you were to be a jazz voice person. Singing jazz is one thing, but teaching it could be something else. How was that mm. transition to you? It's just trying to figure out the best ways to explain something to someone. I mean, scatting is uh, really personal. There's like a million different ways to do things. And, you know, instrumentalists, they can learn technical aspects and theory, a lot of music theory behind what they're doing. And so can vocalists, but it's hard to execute um, the theory when you're just using your ear to get the notes. And so you can't like press, you know, you can't press your finger on something to figure out to get the note that you want you actually have to have it in your head so that's a hard thing to describe to people and there's lots of techniques around scatting um to get better at it um and to and you just have to listen a lot um that's part of it and then you know vocally for the melody and stuff it's all about the emotional delivery and conversational singing that's Mm. jazz yeah for for the uh, scat lesson do you do you sneak in some aerosmith into that no. no. <laughs> Does he scat? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, really? <laughs> um, no, he, he does. And it's, it's it's crazy. Wow. I didn't know that. That's cool. That's really cool. No, I, I, I try to start out, you know, just sort of variations on the melody, you uh-huh. know, like Louis Armstrong did a lot of variations on the melody for his um, trumpet trumpet solos and scat solos. And then you just go from there, to like, you know, repeating a motif throughout your thing, going back to a, 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 an idea over and over and kind of sussing that out as you go. Um, and then you get more complicated. And then you get to, okay, now you need to play all the chords and play, sing all the roots, thirds, and fifths, and sing all the sevenths, mm-hmm. sing all of this, you know, and just go through and try to get all these different, the different um, notes and the chords in your head so that you can choose them. When the time comes. All right, and we're reaching an hour. We're, we are we're getting there. Yeah. Wow. Uh, what's the game plan right now? You got this album out. You got a couple of gigs coming out, including the one in um, in the uh, Montgomery Theater. Yes, February 9th, Montgomery Theater. It's gonna be awesome. <laughs> That's gonna be a really good show. Um, yeah, I've got a gig tonight. What, what are you playing tonight? Just this little wine bar called Rootstock in oh. Cupertino. Oh wait, this this episode's coming out next week though. Okay, uh, next week. Let yeah. me think about it. Yeah. I've got a gig at the Blue Door next Saturday. Where's that? It's in Saratoga. It's uh, It used to be Chili's. Chili's. <laughs> See, that's the thing. is These new venues are popping up. And I'm like... Yeah. I mean, that place is taking a, a risk on live music, which is cool. It's a pretty... It's a new place. Really beautiful bar. I'm so embarrassed to admit this, but it's like, I grew up here all my life, and it wasn't until recently I checked out downtown Los Gatos. I'm from there. <laughs> I was like, whoa, this is like a whole different it's world. It's weird. It is weird. It's like they got their own little town. It, it's really beautiful and everything's tight knit and everything looks like warm and comfortable. I'm like, 
I had no idea. I yeah. just never came to this part of town. Yeah. Well, it's 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 really really nice. It's really nice, uh, but you know it's not very diverse and it's it's got issues too. <laughs> but it's it's a beautiful place. Well, uh, a friend <laughs> told me that bus stops don't stop there. Uh, I'd say that's. I don't know if that's true, but yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I was like, really? And I looked around. I was like, yeah, I don't see a bus stop anywhere. I was like, that's weird. I don't know. I just a, a particular thing that I found interesting. Well, there's a bus is, stop. There's a bus uh, stop by the DMV. Oh, of course. Yeah. Right. But you know, it's a beautiful place. It is a beautiful place. I actually am really lucky because I live near there, and um, I work in downtown Los Gatos. My my day job, my my other job, I'm a administrative assistant. Um, and the company that I work for just moved to downtown Los Gatos, and I can walk there from my house. It's like a two mile walk. It takes a little time, but I make it there, and I feel pretty good about you know walking. Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> how, how, do you feel like you're like a like a superhero almost, where like in the daytime you're you're admin, ad, in the admin, <laughs> yeah, in the nighttime you're like this great singer. And... <laughs> I don't know about that, but I do. Sometimes what? I'm like, you know, you don't know what I do, man. Yeah. Night, yeah, no, you yeah, know, I know. Yeah. I'm so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I do all these cool things. <laughs> my, you know, I got to say my boss for my part-time job, he's, he's a drummer in a cover band. And so he like understands the whole music thing and he's super nice. And he, every time, like I went to one of his gigs the other day, cause he did like a fundraiser gig with his band for um, a wheelchair charity. And, um, I was getting introduced by him to somebody else and they were like he was like oh this is Ren she's my you know like she works with me and she's a real singer like we, what we're doing is just whatever but like she actually is like legit uh, you should get her album you know he's really sweet <laughs> what, what cover band is he in like what kind of music um, are they covering a really wide variety I mean they did uh Get Lucky by Daft Punk and then they did like some Jimi Hendrix and then they did Jack Johnson it was like okay all yeah. over the place but great and people apparently after i left everyone started dancing and they went till one in the morning and had a great time yeah <laughs> some of the best musicians i've met like i feel like oh my god these guys are elite musicians aren't cover bands and i was perplexed and why are you in a cover band money money yeah you know what you're right that's, <laughs> that's it that's it that's yeah it. Also, I gotta say, I'm, so the group I'm playing with tonight, we do a lot of covers. We do some originals too, but qu- uh, quite a bit of covers, and we do really whatever style we want. I always tell people, "This is Dolce Musica. We do whatever we want. I hope you like it." Um, but having that cover band where uh, we get to do any style, and it's such a release from doing some one specific thing. Mm-hmm. It's nice. It just feels like a release valve. You can do oh we have we have options we can do whatever we want to do um, instead of just doing jazz or or just being expected to do one specific thing. It's nice. It's nice to have a release. If listeners want to purchase your album, where can they buy it? They can buy it on Bandcamp.com. Uh, I think it's slash Ren Gisik, but if you look up my name, Ren Gisik G E I S I C K. Uh, on Bandcamp, you'll find it there. Also, you can just go to my website, and there's a, a link to the Bandcamp there. So my website is just rensings.com, R-E-N-S-I-N-G-S.com. Hmm. That's easier to remember than my last name, Giesick. <laughs> Where did the last name come from? Like, is that it's, Polish? It's no, German. German. Mm-hmm. You've been in Germany? they got some great jazz. I have, but I didn't get to there. see any jazz while I was there. Sad. What part of Germany? Um, I went with a choir tour in college. We went to Berlin, 
and uh, and then outside of the choir tour, we went to Munich, mm-hmm. and we went to Dresden. That's in Germany too, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was really cool. It's it's really cool. Pick up any German? No, but man, Berlin is cool because they've kept a lot of the ruins from the world from World War Two there yeah. to to remind them. Of everything. Have you been to Germany? No, I would love to. I got friends over there, and, and they're like, "Gotta come over." I'm like, oh, "I would love to." <laughs> it's really interesting. But, I mean, Berlin. Yeah, music scene in Berlin. It's really, I, I feel uh, underrated in the rock and roll history because that's mm-hmm. where a lot of uh, the before the British invasion. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I don't yeah. know why I'm saying that. Schooling hey. you on. I'm sure no, you know. Okay. You know about this already. But, I don't but, know. but but that's where the Beatles would go and tour and and all that before yeah. they became a sensation. Mm-hmm. Over here, and I feel like people forget that. It's yeah, like, you know, the, there's an appreciation the, for music. There's like an incubation of like rock and roll music that was happening in yeah. Berlin. That's cool. Whatever. Yeah, that's that's a whole different thing. No, uh, cool. Ren, pleasure talking to you. Nice to talk to you too, Jorge. Uh, hope you had a good time. <laughs> so, Thank you. Sorry again for the fluster in the beginning. I, I was panicking. What? You're not I'm flustered. Like, I don't. My mouse broke, and like, oh no, you're, you're like, fine. You're like ten minutes away. I got to look so unprofessional. And I was like, wait a minute, I have a touch screen. No, you did great. Yeah. It's all good. <laughs> and then, yeah. Anyway. All right. Cool. Thank you, Ren. Thank you so much. All right. That was Ren Gasek. Please check out her music at bandcamp.com. Or you can also check out her website at rensings.com. Trust me, you won't regret it. And buy her album, Support This Artist. She is awesome. And she has an upcoming uh, show at the Montgomery Theater. So better check that out. It's coming up in February. And uh, I'll be there for sure. I I don't think it's no accident that that, uh, it keeps popping up on my email. All right. That's it for this week. Have a great rest of of your week, folks. Next week's guest, we have an artist coming by with it. We had a great chat about art and look forward to that. And we might have another going viral segment with Chase Doherty. So have a good one, folks. Have a good night. Have a good weekend. Uh, stay cool. Stay awesome. Let's try to stay positive. It's, we're still the beginning of the year. We can do this. And uh, sayonara. Hasta la vista. <laughs>